Welcome to Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a bi-weekly podcast in collaboration with the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, focusing on expert interviews that explore the insights, habits, and expertise of individuals both in and outside of medicine. My name is Dr. Kara King, and I am your host. And hi, Team Unscrubbed. I hope everyone is having a great week and happy Friday. Now, we have a truly remarkable guest on our show today who I've known for quite some time, and that is Janet Dombrowski. Now, you may recognize her name from our upcoming SGS annual conference agenda as she is delivering our prestigious Tillens lecture entitled Cultivating Resilience, the Power in Connection and Collaboration. Janet is an executive coach and will be giving an amazing lecture on how to build highly functioning teams and the importance of aligning strategy, structure, and culture for optimal performance. On this first part of Janet's two-part episode, we are going to talk about her career transition from nursing into coaching, the importance of finding your why, and the unique area of surgical coaching. We hope you enjoy. So today on Unscrubbed, we are so thrilled to have Janet Dombrowski, who we are also going to see very soon at our upcoming Tillens Lecture at SGS. So welcome, Janet. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. It's fun to do this a little bit in advance of the conference. Just a little teaser, right? Yes, right. <laughs> exactly. I don't think I've ever been quite this produced for uh, a prep for a conference. Well, you deserve to. I'm not going to lie. So yeah. I have known you for a couple of years now through the Academy for Surgical Coaching, and you and I will mm-hmm. dive into that uh, in a little bit of time here. But I want to start out by really hearing about your journey. So you are an executive coach. But you had a really unique journey to get where you are in that you started out with a Bachelor of Science in nursing. Is Mm -hmm. that right? I do. I do. I was a pediatric nurse for a couple of years. Tell me, tell me about this. How did you, how did you navigate that? Right. It's funny because I have, I have uh, teenagers right now who are trying to decide what to do to, you know, for college. And you sort of say, you never know where your journey is going to take you because this would certainly not be where I would have expected um, when I started a Bachelor's of Nursing some years ago. I, I will say though, that not very long into that degree, I realized that that's not really what I wanted to do. So I did not practice nursing for very long. I went back, but but I spent a lot of time in, in hospitals because you know when you do training for any clinical, any clinical role, you spend a lot of time there anyway. So I had a lot of opportunity to be in hospitals on the at the bedside. But I went back and got a master's in health management and policy. And then I spent most of my career, well, let's say 25 years of my career in health management doing strategic planning and business development in either large health systems or in large consulting companies. So I traveled all over the country, saw lots of different kinds of places, worked with lots of different teams. And then uh, my last in-industry role was as a vice president doing merger and acquisition work for a large health system. And then I'm then it's funny we did this acquisition and then we then we bought the hospital that we bought they said oh here we'd like you to go in and be part of the new team to lead this hospital I had negotiated the acquisition I'm not sure if it was a punishment or a reward to be perfectly <laughs> frank because the organization needed a lot of help right it was that's yeah. why they that's why we acquired them and my big aha in that weirdly was that most of our problems weren't related to strategy they were related to leadership they were related to culture. And so because of a whole variety of reasons, I was able to get trained during that period of time in executive coaching um, and culture transformation facilitation. And I had been a consultant for a long time. So after I managed, this is this is probably something your listeners are going to be surprised to hear someone say just out in front. After I got fired, I... <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that about you, Janet. I cannot wait to hear about that. Go on. Well, you know, you, you really, you can, I, and I will say, I won't spend a lot of time on that, but I was very, I would consider brave, but probably a little foolish with sharing feedback with someone who didn't want to hear it, who was more senior to me. It, it gave me an appreciation for how important difficult conversations are and to mm-hmm. do them well. And anyway, as it turns out, I, I had that conversation. I lost my job. I started my coaching business. And that was 13 years ago. So wow. it's been it's been some time that I've been doing executive coaching. And my business is 100% healthcare. I'm trying to think of what else is important to say. So it's kind of a weird journey. Uh, I've always been in healthcare. I, I can't imagine working in another business where I would feel passionate. I've done some coaching in automotive and retail and a couple of other places. And leaders are leaders. People are people. I mean, a lot of those issues that trouble leaders are people issues, not industry issues. But I really am passionate about healthcare. Like, I'm not sure I could get excited about helping somebody get up someday and make more donuts (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, chunk out more widgets. It just wouldn't be my thing. Right. I love how you blended those two fields, right? Like your passion in healthcare brought you to nursing. And so you knew that Mm -hmm. was some, somewhere really, really important to you. And then I'm also thinking about, I always find it fascinating when people switch careers and, and how you took the time for reflection to know that it was, that nursing wasn't the right fit, right? You must've dedicated so much time and effort to get into nursing school. Was there a moment? It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. I, I, this is, this is almost embarrassing, especially because I work with physicians a lot now, as you know, Yeah, I probably should have gone to medical school and I was dissuaded from doing that um, by a couple of people who were important in my life who probably had more economic concerns or more social concerns. I'm a little older than you are. And so I think they thought if you do that, you won't be able to have a family. You won't be able to, mm-hmm. maybe you won't make it into medical school, mm-hmm. but if you don't, what will you do? And so I think I was probably frustrated with being on what I felt like was unempowered in the role of being a nurse. And so I was able to be much more empowered. And and I'll tell you the funny, it's funny you should say that they're similar. I was facilitating this big group of people when I was just finished doing my coaching training. And in the middle of it, I realized, oh my gosh, this is a service. This is a service thing. Coaching is a service. It helps leaders be better, just like nursing was intended to help people. So they yes. do have a really deep connection, I think. That was astute observation. I love that. And that just, it just feels so good that you had the, the space and reflection to do that. Like, I feel like so many times, like our heads are down. This was my trajectory. This is where I started my degree. And this is where I'm going to end, whether I like it or not. And so well, that's hard. It's that's funny hard. you should say that because that is a, probably one of the key things I end up working with professionals on. And, you know, you were, we were going to talk about, you know, doing some coaching with physicians, surgeons in particular. But that idea yes. of sort of putting your head down and measuring yourself by all these external gates, if you will, from the time you start your Actually, I think it's even from the time you start like in high school because I have I have a daughter that's a junior in high school. She wants to be a physician. So it's already, did I get the right SAT scores? What college am I going to go to? Where are you going to go for medical school? And then I pick up I pick up physicians often when they're transitioning from sort of practice to leadership. And they're, they're not ready to deal with the question of what drives me. Mm-hmm. Right? What's really important because they've been so externally driven for so long. Then you say to them, so what are you passionate about? How are right. you going to lead? They're like, I don't know. I have never spent any time thinking about this. Nor has anyone ever asked me that. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <I> exactly. Mean, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, uh, you're so right. There's so many, like these external, you know, benchmarks that you're supposed to meet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you stop and you're like, wait, 
I didn't even want to, this wasn't even my goal. And it feels so unfulfilling, even though your CV is 30 pages long and you're hitting it, the nail right on the head. It's because it's not meeting your personal passion, maybe possibly. Right. right. Well, and because it's so intense, there's, like you said, your head's down. There's really no time to think about it. When you finally get to a place where you can think about it, you're so far in, you kind of think, well, what am I going to do now? Yes. Like, like if I, if I ask those questions, am I fulfilled? And I find the answer is not really, what options do I have? And that's, and that's a tough, that, that, that external drive versus internal motivation is two sort of two different things. Yeah. And I, it's funny you should bring that up because that's a, that's a key part of coaching with most of my clients. I could see that. I could absolutely see that. So let's dive into that a little bit more. So you have worked with a lot of C-suite executives, but you have a, mm -hmm. a unique affinity for us surgeons. I think you like <laughs> yes. us. You do like us, I, I really do like you. I do. I like. I. I. I am. I would like to. Actually, I was somewhere the other day, and somebody referred to me as doctor. It was like some staff person at a hotel, and there was this conference with all physicians. And I said, "Oh, well, if you just hang out with y'all long enough, you get to be one." I do. I do like you. I like. You know, I, I say this about physicians in general, but surgeons, like you said, in particular, I think you're incredible learners. It, under two conditions, one. There's something you think you need to know that you don't already think you know. <laughs> yes. And so it's got to be important. Right. And it has to be, it's be important and it has to be something that you are pretty sure there's a gap in. And sometimes right. that's hard. You know, sometimes that's a hard thing to do. So the way I got connected to working with surgeons was really, um, I live in Ann Arbor, which I know is not necessarily something you want to say to people who are like living in Ohio, but... Um, <laughs> it's okay. I'm from Boston. It's all right. <laughs> That's right. I know. Uh, so the University of Michigan Department of Surgery was developing their own leadership development program, and they were using experts on the university campus outside of the medical school. And one of the professors from the health management and policy program, which is where I'm an, I'm an alum, was one of the people who's helping them develop it. And she called me and said, we'd like to put together a coaching component in this leadership development program. Would you, would you come in and be the subject matter expert on that? I said, sure. And then that's how I got to know the surgeons there. And then the work with with Caprice that you and I do at the academy was mm -hmm. connected on an NIH grant to work with with Justin Dimmick at University of Michigan. He had been the person who'd been heading up the leadership development program, and they asked me if I would help develop the content for training the coaches in one of the NIH research group programs, which then evolved into some of the work that's now the kind of the core work at the academy. And that's when I realized I just I like I like being around smart challenging people. <laughs> um, and that would be, I guess that would be a good definition for lab surgeons. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly put. And how astute they were to include a coach within their collaborative. That's so forward thinking yeah. to me. It makes so much sense, but it's not necessarily intuitive. Well, you know, the, well, it was the, the grant itself. Oh, you mean in the um, leadership development program? I mean, the leadership, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The leadership, in the leadership yeah. development program, they modeled it kind of after a lot of traditional like MBA type programs where there's content experts, you know, there was content topics. There were some self, I don't know, self-learning topics, you know, right. learning about yourself, self-awareness kinds of things. And then a 360. And they wanted, they wanted the surgeons who are participating to get a 360, but they didn't want them to just get that feedback without having some support. And so that's what the coaching was for. Love and it. then because the the work that Caprice was doing was evolving the coaching in the OR. They thought, oh, you know coaching. Do you know anything about coaching in the OR? And I said, well, yes. no, not really, but I know about coaching and right. I have a clinical background so I can, 
you know, I can put those two things together. And that was, right. that's the connection that kind of produced the relationship partly that you and I have. Exactly. I love the thought of, you know, you and Caprice and I, and for our listeners, we did host our interview Caprice Greenberg, Dr. Caprice Greenberg, um, last year on our podcast. So I will link that in our show notes, but we have a, an amazing episode with Caprice about surgical coaching. So make sure you check that out. But I love the ideas that, you know, just giving straight feedback or for talking about the OR, just showing your outcomes without really addressing that gap, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not very powerful. Like just showing me the outcomes or the performance I mean, you have to have know how to address that in the gap. And that's where coaching really shines through, whether it be in the OR or whether it be executive leadership or whatever we're, whatever we're talking about, right? Yeah, it's, it's about continuous growth and, yeah. or, or continuous improvement, depending on how, you know, if it's a, an outcome you're looking for in the OR. But it's a continuous growth. And that, I have to say, that's yeah. probably, if I had to really think about it, that's what drives me is helping. In fact, I, I should probably pull it up. I could, I could tell you the the my passion and my mission from my business card, which if you could see me, you would see that I'm holding. Um, yes. Partnering to partnering to intentionally harness the power of change and direct it towards learning, innovation, and growth. And so that's that's what's critical to me is taking those moments, like when somebody gets um, some outcomes data that they don't like or they get 360 feedback that they don't like. And their first reaction is to push back and yeah. to be threatened, threatened by defensive. it. Defensive. To take that, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Is to take that moment and turn it into an opportunity for improvement. To change, turn it into an opportunity for growth. And so, this work with surgeons, particularly in the OR, but just with surgeons who are becoming leaders or physicians who are becoming leaders, is my sweet spot for sure. I love it. So I feel like um, I want to dive into the academy work a little bit in Caprice. Do you feel like this is a good transition into that sure. right now? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the Academy for Surgical Coaching, as my listeners probably know, because I talk about it all the time, is that nonprofit that we finally got up and running back in 2019. And Janet, talk to me about your role with, within the academy. Yeah. So I guess I would call my role a subject matter expert. I'm not yes. obviously not a surgeon, um, but I hang out with them a lot. And it's it was to help really to develop the curriculum for training of our academy trained coaches. And then along with you and Caprice and hopefully some other surgeons uh, will con- that will continue to, to add to the, to the list, we do these training sessions to help surgeons coach other surgeons around operative performance. So I help develop the content that's in, and it's, you know, built off of kind of, I would have to say one of the things that's most challenging is that it takes probably if you were to take a, a coaching training, hundreds of hours of coaching training, we are trying to condense it down into a day, but to give people those, those critical skills around goal setting and around um, observation and feedback and around listening uh, and around helping people action plan for what they want to do to improve. That are, and inquiry. Oh, that's a good one. Inquiry. Asking yeah. good questions. Yeah. You're always good at that. That's why you're a podcast host. Uh, <laughs> I try. I'm yeah, trying here. I'm, pl- yeah. I'm, playing the, I'm playing the role over here. That's right. <laughs> Some compelling interviews asked with really great questions. Those, those skills don't necessarily... I don't think they're necessarily things that get taught in medical school, right? Great inquiry, especially if you're a surgeon. Maybe if you had more of a internal medicine sort of residency program, there'd be more of that. But for surgical training, there's not a, there's a lot of doing, not a lot of asking. 
And so, and not necessarily even a lot of listening. I do think a commitment to improvement and a commitment to fixing things and problem solving. So we can build on that. But not, but these other skills, the sort of goal setting in a very intentional kind of way and follow through and action planning are not, they're more intentional than than reactive. And a lot of surgeons end up, I think, being in a kind of a reactive place. Oh, here's the next thing. <laughs> here's the next case. Right. And I mean, you're the content expert, but you're, you're the we talk about this a lot. And you're saying like, by association, we feel like you're a surgeon. It's amazing how you can literally coach us through a surgical video when you're not a surgeon, right? By training. But yeah. the way your brain works, and the way coaching works is that you don't have to be a subject expert in, let's say, a hysterectomy oh. to do this. Mm-mm. And, no, in um, fact, those are some of my least favorite videos to watch, I have to admit. <laughs> you don't like my videos. I know you're always like, I'm no. sorry, what is that? A vaginal cough what? I'm sorry. Yes, I, I don't mind as long as I can't tell what it is. I, don't, I know. I, and preferably not on your body, like down below like that. I know. Right, I get it. Exactly. I get it. But yeah, I'm amazed by that. And with our with our coach training, again, we're taking months and years and years of your training of your training and putting it into like a six hour day. But I'm I'm just fascinated about how the theories that you have taught me and that we now teach others transcend just surgical coaching and really into like you've mentioned, like my marriage. Like I think I'm still no. married because of your coaching theory. So thank you so much, Janet. <laughs> Well, you're not the only person. I remember the very first time we taught this back in, in in the Bariatric Surgery Collaborative here, one of the guys who's a character, like a really busy, busy um, surgeon, we finished the training and he said, I think this might make me a better human being. <laughs> I said, well, they're just things that don't come naturally to people who've been trained as professionals slash experts, right? It's when you're an expert and you think you already know everything, yeah. it's hard to be open to both yourself changing, but also to leading other people through change. Right. And I think you've said this and I know other people have said it too. I think those coaching skills help make people better teachers. Oh, um, so now you come to the the your residents and your med students differently and your fellows differently than you might have. You didn't have the, some of these skills. It's it's not that you can't do it, right? So we talk all the time about the differences between skill sets and mindsets. Yeah. Like y'all y'all are really smart. There's no teaching you the skills that isn't is not the problem. It's shifting the way you think about it, and whether you feel like you've got to show up to every encounter that you're in as the expert. Right. That makes things change. So exactly right. I know, and I want to dive into these um, skills of leadership that we're talking about. And I've heard you say it a few times now, where you know you've referenced like I don't think you you've learned you learned this in medical school or residency, and you're dead on. Like we are not taught really anything, at least in my training about leadership skills and how to, you know, synergize culture and how to work with other people. Like all these these type of really important, I hate when they call them soft skills, but all these really important yeah. skills because they're not soft. No. We're not taught that. And oftentimes what we see in medicine is the leadership positions are occupied by things such as, for instance, how many publications you have on your CV, right? Like research endeavors <laughs> or Right, things that are really important to advanced medicine, but they're not really important in leading people. And no, in fact, they're right? kind of the opposite. Like the effort that it takes to write a really big research grant and then get the funding and write the paper yes. is a much more individualized sport in a lot of ways than leading a large group of people where you have to have their interests ahead of your own. And you remember we were saying before about this, all these gates, all these external measures and in academic medicine in particular, yeah. they're very much individual measures. Nobody says, hey, nice job, team. It's right. like, how many publications do you have? How much, you know, what are your teaching evaluations? Which might be a little more akin to 
how good a leader you might be. How many cases did you do? What's your RVUs? All those kinds of questions, which are not the same as can you put your own personal interests aside and lead others towards a shared outcome? So it's a stretch. And, and increasingly, we're health systems, and I think rightfully so, want physicians in leadership. But like we were saying at the beginning, there's this gap. Right? Yes. There's a gap between today and if you want to be a good leader and we want physicians as leaders, we can't keep putting in the person who missed the meeting, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> Got volunteered into the job. Right. Or the person who's had, who's the oldest, right? They finally right. aged into the job or the person who has the most academic cred because that's not what we're asking them to do. It's like, there's a try, I always joke with my leaders, it's a tripartite mission. But one of those three things has to give if you're actually going to spend time and energy as a leader, because leadership is its own discipline, just like research, education, and clinical care. And it's hard. It's really hard for people to make that choice. It is hard. That was beautifully put. So on that theme, are there any common threads that you see with with the surgeons who come to you for coaching in their leadership style or in areas that they're striving to improve in? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I um, I try not to stereotype, right? But right. there are people who choose to be surgeons and there are lots of different kinds of surgeons and there are people who don't choose to be surgeons. I think some of these things I'm going to tell you are very similar for people who, not just who are surgeons, but who are experts in something, right? Mm-hmm. That Where they're really deep, deep in a subject. So, although some of these probably really are fairly obvious about surgeons. So, fix-it mode, right? Problem solving. Yeah. Like thing, the world is complex. A lot of things don't have quick and easy answers that you can fix. And so, I think that gets in the way of being an effective leader or can be a mindset that's hard to overcome yeah. um, if you're a surgeon because you want something that it came in broken and it went out fixed. <laughs> exactly. Um, Instant gratification, <laughs> baby. That's that's what no, I like. No complications, <laughs> fast, quick, clean, no blood loss. You want it fast. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I want and, same day discharge even, Janet. I don't even want them to stay in the hospital. Like go home. Right. Well, no, because <laughs> bad things can happen if they stay any longer. Right. So you're right. And so there's both, a t- there's two things to that. One is this fix it, right? This fix it idea. And the second is a is a time sensitivity. Many surgeons are kind of like the not most patient people in the world. And leadership, moving large groups of people through complex problems and challenges, and especially when a lot of the problems don't really have an easy answer, can be dreadfully painful for surgeons in particular. So I think that's probably one of the things that kind of, if you want to say, gets gets in the way or is a common theme that people have to work through if they want to be an effective leader. And frankly, if you want to be an effective, even if you can want to be an even better surgeon, yes. if you're if your primary, I mean, you can think about that for some of the surgical coaching we've done. Right. If, if somebody comes and they're almost too fast because they're rushing and we've seen that, right. you'll t- telling them they need to slow down is like not, doesn't seem, feel right to them. Exactly. So that, that's one thing. Um, we talked about the, um, the, these sort of metrics and external, these external gates. And, and the other part of it, I think that's really interesting is those gates aren't just that somebody else has set them, but they're competitive, mm-hmm. right? So there's always this sense of comparison. Like, do I have as many publications? Did I get tenure as fast as this other person? Does this other person have better cases or better patient outcomes or better whatever? It's always this sense of comparison. And that is a, there's a great quote, the old one from Theodore Roosevelt, comparison is the thief of joy. 
Oh my gosh, and that is so true, Janet. You just gave me goosebumps. Spot on. It's spot on for spot so on. many things. And and so I, I think that's a challenge, right? That constant comparison. Um, instead of getting centered and intentional about what's important to you, how you want to lead, how you want to, I don't know, do your patient care, how you want to teach, all of those things. Talked about impatience. I think that's one of the things I said. It's not just impatience t- with time, but there's a sense of impatience with yourselves. Like I should know this, or the resident should know this. That that like competing almost with yourself. That is, a, I think, a fairly common theme in high performing, um, high achieving people. And then something that's a close corollary of that. That's probably another theme that's fairly common is not asking for help. So, you obviously work with us a lot. Like everything you're saying is like resonating. I feel like you're coaching me right now because everything you just said is something I would come to you about. But you're right. No, and let me, yeah, it, it's it's you're a high performing. Yeah. high achieving person. And so you keep doing what you've been doing because it's worked for you. That's why right. they say, right? Why would you do something differently? Right. Here you are, you have your own podcast, you're a great MIG surgeon, you're at the Cleveland Clinic, all these wonderful things. So like, I don't know why change. And that's hard to get sort of habitual. And that is all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next week for part two of Janet Dombrowski's incredible interview where she talks about maintaining momentum and gives us a teaser for her upcoming to Lynn's lecture. From all of us at the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening.